Father God, we, uh, we come to you this morning, and uh, you are great. You are greater than any other, and we just want to proclaim that right now. Um, we just pray that your name will be glorified this morning as we look at your word, as we share your word, as we ask that your Holy Spirit reveal what your word wants us to see today. Um, we ask that you, above all, your name be glorified. Um, we do pray right now that your your Holy Spirit will be working in our hearts and our minds, open to what you want us to see and hear through your word. We thank you for your word. It is such a blessing. In your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. It's good to be back with you guys. I, I kind of was over at the, at the theater for the last month, uh, just seeing some people over there I haven't seen for a while, so it was good to connect with them, but it's also very good to be back here and seeing everyone. Um, this morning, uh, usually I jump right into, into, into the scripture, we are going to be in Revelation chapter 1. So if uh, you want to turn there, you're more than welcome to turn there. Uh, but uh, we are kind of shifting gears. January, we went through a, uh, a little mini-series, if you will, of what, what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. And now we are going to be going into the uh, seven churches. We're going to be um, not going through the whole book of Revelation, uh, but we are going to be looking at the seven churches for the next two months uh, here at Mercy Hill. Um, I know it's, it's kind of a, a difference than what we did last year. Last year we went through the whole book of Romans, and it was just kind of like, okay, that's what we're doing. Turn the book of Romans every Sunday. Well, um, this, this year we're going to do a little, bit of a, a little bit of a difference, and we're just going to have some mini mini-series throughout the whole year. Um, but before we get into Revelation, I just want to kind of give us a, a little bit of a historical context of what's going on here and what to look for here, and then, um, then we'll get into the text. Uh, we, are, we are seeing that the, uh, the Apostle John, uh, one of Jesus' first 12 disciples, is actually writing this out. And uh, I also believe that he wrote the Gospel of John, uh, one of the four Gospels. He also um, most likely did uh, first, second, and third John. And uh, he, is, he is actually writing this after Jesus comes to him, and he is actually at the island of Patmos, which is actually like a, a, a prison camp. And this is, this is during the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had um, exiled him to this, this, this little island that's just off the coast of present-day Turkey. It's about an eight-by-four-mile eight island, so it's just a pretty, pretty small island that he was put on there as a work camp. They... Um, they had a stone quarry there and a lot of uh, political prisoners, a lot of prisoners that they didn't necessarily agree with were exiled um, off into that, into that little island. Um, once again, I said this, uh, like I said earlier, this is at the Roman Empire. And this is actually written to the seven churches um, in modern-day Turkey. Um, he, he, uh, it, it is uh, said in Asia, but it's modern-day Turkey as if we look at the map today modern-day Turkey, and these, these uh, seven churches were spread out throughout that um, modern-day Turkey. Uh, they were a very, most of them were very wealthy, and um, we saw a lot, of, uh, a lot of travel, a lot of different um, societies, a lot of different um, cultures that would have uh, been in these different cities. And so um, with that, let's, let's turn to Revelation chapter 1, and I'm going to go ahead and read the whole chapter. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants, the things that must soon take place, 
he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep that what is written, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on the account of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha, and I am the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom of, this, of the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island of, called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Samaria and to Pergamum and to Thyreata and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And I, on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes like a flame of fire. His feet like burnished bronze, refined in a fireness. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I live forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you see or have seen, those that are, and those are to be take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars you saw in the right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, and the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let's pray one more time. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us, and we thank you that it has meaning for us right now. And I do pray right now through your Holy Spirit that you reveal what you want us to hear and see through your word. In your name I pray. Amen. As I was studying the, the first chapter here, and it can be a little intimidating. When you hear the word or the book of Revelation, what do you think of? And I did a soft survey in the last couple, the last couple weeks I've been studying this. And... Um, a lot of what I hear is the future. A lot of what I hear is the great tribulation. 
the Antichrist, apocalypse. I hear all those things. And those, all, all those things are, are relevant to the book of Revelation, no doubt about that. But we start out, it says the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. And in my mind, that's who we have to go back to. If we are going to understand this book rightly, we have to look at Jesus Christ. There's, there's married couples out there. I know a couple of, of married couples that... that um, it seems like they are all consumed by a future event. And what I mean by that is like our 50th anniversary is coming up, our 25th anniversary is coming up. Um, we have vacation this summer. Or I'm waiting, for, I'm waiting for retirement so that I can really get to know my wife well. And I hear that. I, I, I seriously, I hear that from couples at different times. And, and, and I think at times we're missing the picture if we think about that. Now, anniversaries are great. They're, they're to be celebrated. They're, they're, they're good. Vacations are really good. I know my wife and I were talking about what we should be doing this summer on vacation. However, in anniversaries, once again, it, it's something that Absolutely, especially those paramount anniversaries. But if we are only looking in our marriage, in our relationships to these big things and not looking to the everyday life with my wife, then I think I'm missing something. Does that make sense? And, and, and I think that you know, sometimes looking forward to those big things, we can negate and we can almost like, eh, just take it for granted that I have my wife with me, that I have my husband with me, that we're going through life together and, and, and kind of just pass each other like two ships passing in the night because life is busy. Once again, looking forward to good things, absolutely. Looking forward to celebrating those things, absolutely. But if we are not taking the time to day in, day out, appreciate my spouse, then I'm missing something. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a um, pretty famous pastor back in uh, Nazi Germany, he actually got thrown in a, concentra- a concentration camp and actually died there just before the liberation of, of one of them um, that the Allies did. Um, he, had a, he has a quote that I absolutely love. It says, we live each day as if it were our last, and each day as if there was a great future because of Jesus Christ. Let me say it one more time. We live each day as if it was our last. And each day as if there was a great future because of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation can stir up a lot of these, these different ideas of what it's going to look like. And, and there's no doubt that, that it's good to look at these things, these future events. However, if we are more concerned about the return of Jesus than Jesus himself, there's an issue. If we are more concerned about the Antichrist than Jesus Christ, we should be concerned 
Once again, not ignoring those things, not, not, not putting them like, yeah, it doesn't matter. It does matter. However, if we are not putting Jesus Christ at the forefront of all, everything that we think about and everything we do, then there is an issue as a believer in Jesus. And I really do believe this is what, how we have to view this book, how we have to view everything going in, going forward in, in our lives in general. It says the, the book of Revelation, out of the gate, the revelation, which, which actually means a unveiling, a radical uncovering or breakthrough of what is hidden. But notice it doesn't say the revelation of the Antichrist, the revelation of, of the tribulation, the great tribulation, is actually the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I, I really hope that that has set the tone for what I want us to focus on. And it really is easy to focus on this in chapter 1 because Jesus Christ is everywhere in chapter 1. Um, we were joking this week as, as I was preparing the sermon and Eric was pre- preparing his sermon. Eric was like, well, I might have a 24-point sermon because you could really look at it and it, it breaks down. There, depending how you break it down, you could see that Jesus is, is either described or talked about 24 different times in this, in this, in this chapter. Um, as I was studying this, I was like, well, we could, we could have easily have broken this down for a month's worth of, of, of sermons or more out of chapter 1. And so, forgive me if it seems like I'm going through it almost fast. I, I wish I could break down the points even a little more. Uh, but I, I really just want us to uh, get the overview of what it, the almighty important here is Jesus and Jesus himself. Notice out of the gate in, in verse 3, starting in verse 3 there, it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud in the words of the prophecy, and blessed are the one who hear and keep it. What is written in this, for the time is near. And um, as, I was, as I was studying, as I was looking at commentary, um, it is, it, the Greek word that is used here just really means to be happy. But I really, I really do believe, as I, as I was reading through a, one of the commentaries, and one of the commentaries was just really hashing this out. He, you know, th- this all seems to be rooted in a, a Hebrewic um, promise. A lot of the way that this was written would not have been foreign to a lot of the Hebrew readers here. And he really made a good point of, of pointing like this would have, for a lot of, of Hebrew believers, they would have looked at the word blessed. And it, there's one specific word blessed in, in the Hebrew, um, and it's, it's, I'm probably going to mispronounce it, but it's called Asher. And, and really what it, it comes down to is to find the right pathway in the face of false pathways. I love that. I love that. To discover the meaning in the face of chaos. True meaning in the face of chaos. And I, I think, you know, in so many times we look at blessings as like trying to get something good out of it. Well, this is even, in my mind, and when I say good, like maybe like a blessing, material blessing, or something of that sorts, right? But to find the right pathway in the face of false pathways. It just really spoke to me. I, I really, really resonated with me because there are so many false pathways out there today, right? 
And it seems like the more you look at society, the more chaotic it gets. And this is nothing new in history. This is absolutely nothing new in history. Throughout history, there's been chaos. World War I, World War II, it's the Civil War. And these are just within American history, not world history. Some of the quotes here, I, I just, out, of, out of one of the commentaries I want to read. We will be on the right pathway when we derive the meaning of life and the pattern of living from the character of God in his holy will. Our pathway in the present, we dare to live from the decision of the eternal Father because Jesus Christ is Lord of history. And we are blessed because of that fact. All of the other facts of our lives and our history are important, but not final. They affect us, but they do not define us. And in reality, Jesus Christ is who defines us. He is our right pathway. And that is, that is truly our blessing is Jesus. He is truly our success for what he's already accomplished. And so, if we have put our trust in Jesus, we are blessed. Our past, present, and future, Jesus becomes the total center of it. As I said earlier, there's at least 24 descriptions or references to Jesus in this, in, this, in this chapter. And so I just want to take a look at a few of them and to set our path right. It is truly a blessing to look at our lives in the aspect of Jesus Christ. So starting in verse 5, and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness. So, what is a faithful witness? He faithfully reveals all truth to us. He is the truth. So he has revealed himself to us. He has given us the truth through his teaching, but not just his teaching. More importantly, through his life. He came to earth. He lived a perfect life perfect life and he shared his teachings we have them written down in the four gospels we're able to go and look at his teachings and they're, they're, they're awesome they're good they're perfect but what has backed that teaching up is his perfect life everything that he taught us everything that he has sh- he has given us, he showed us in action and in deed. He is the perfect, faithful witness of what truth looks like. And thank God, he has done that for us. The next thing on the list. Faithful witness, 
the firstborn, the firstborn of the dead. Jesus Christ is the first to conquer death. The first person, the person of Jesus Christ living a perfect life, went to the cross. He died a true, gruesome, physical death. And he rose again on the third day. No one else, no one else in history has ever had that happen or accomplished that. He conquered sin. 2 Corinthians 4.14, because we know that the one who was raised, the Lord Jesus from the dead, will also raise us with Jesus and present us with him, with you in his presence. This is the true power of the gospel, folks. That Jesus came, lived a perfect life, went to the cross, and he died, and then rose again. This is the power of the gospel. This is huge. I cannot understate this enough. If we don't get this, then nothing matters. It is the power of his resurrection that saves us. That, know, that we know that we will be rose again after we die and will be with him for eternity if we have put our trust in him. This is the gospel in a nutshell. Once again, something we should never, ever ever take for granted the next thing it goes on in the list in the, after the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth Jesus Christ is lord of lords, king of kings he is the ruler over everything in this earth and on this earth Interestingly enough, just saying that, depending on which Roman emperor was in power, would have been enough to put you to death in the Roman Empire. See, Rome had a, a system of, of uh, part of its system of governance was that you could have freedom of religion in a way. And you could, you could kind of worship whoever you wanted to out of your culture after they conquered you. However, Caesar became lord of all of that. And so it was very common to hear back in this time, Caesar's Lord. It became very much a, a patriotic, entangled with, with, with a religious culture. And so, very, very common to say Caesar's Lord. That would be like a, a common hail to each other. And this saying that Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords, Lord of all. Lord of all systems in this world. Lord of all countries. Lord of all kings. Would be direct treason to this system that was in place. And so we say it. We say it in church. I grew up in church most of my life, and I hear Jesus is Lord of lords, King of kings. Do we know what we're saying? 
that we are proclaiming that Jesus is almighty, that Jesus is everything, over everything. That is what it means to say Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords. Do we believe it when we say it? Then Paul kind of shifts gears a little bit, and he, he really brings it home to us. Middle of, of verse 5, to him who loves us. Jesus loves you. Do you know that? Do you know that? Sometimes I think we forget that. This is the simple message. If you've put your trust in Jesus, he loves you. He loves you. How do we know he loves us? He created us. He maintains, he holds all things together, is what the Bible says. Colossians chapter 1. Fifteen and seventeen. It, it it talks about how he holds all things together, and it really is a a beautiful piece of scripture. And I didn't mark it, so. <laughs> um, but he basically it talks about how he holds all things together, and everything was created in him, and he has held all these things together. That is amazing that he does that, that he still does that in spite, in spite of us. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And this is where, really where it talks about Christ's love for us. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love and participation in the Spirit, any affliction and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. Do nothing, and, and, and it really is an example of what Jesus has done for us. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to your own interest, but also the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus Christ, who though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He did all of that, folks, for us, out of his love for us. And it is truly amazing. He came. He lived as a servant. He died a death that he didn't deserve. He rose again, and he has given us life, all, all because of his love for us. It is truly amazing to think about that. He loves us. 
The next, the next thing that, that John says here is he loves us and he has freed us from our sins by his blood. Once again, a direct, directly out of his love for us, he has died for us. He has freed us by his blood, by, by taking everything to the cross and being nailed on the cross. His blood has actually freed us from our sins. It's freed us from the consequences of sin. Hell. The separation from God. His blood has given us, if you will, a, a peace treaty that I can call God my father now. That I am now adopted into his family. I have a relationship with God now because of his blood. But it also has it also has given me the ability to say no to my sinfulness. I am no longer a slave to sin, but in now I'm a slave to righteousness. Something we've talked about in Romans last year. I am not, once again, in this world, I still struggle with my old man, my old nature. But I am no longer bound to be a sin of that old nature because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And that is truly amazing. I am I'm actually a new creation in Jesus because of his blood. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Once again, not perfection. And God is always, through his Holy Spirit, working on our lives, sanctifying us, changing us to be more like his son. But we are freed. We are free from that sinful nature that had us in bondage. It is such good news. The next thing that Paul ta- or, sorry, John talks about here is, and he has made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. He has made us a kingdom of priests of God, his Father. The kingdom of God, and Jesus says this, it was now, is now. When Jesus came, it's now. The kingdom of God is not viewed in, in a territorial boundaries, in, in something that you can look at a map and say, this is the kingdom of God, like we would the Roman Empire at the time, or like we would with the United States right now. But it is a, it, through relationship, ordinary people who have put their trust in the Lord And have love and freedom through that. We have become his kingdom. We are his kingdom in this world, in this fallen world. And everywhere we go, everywhere we go, we are taking him with us. It is interesting how it says kingdom of priests. And when you look at priests, what are some things you think about? Well, Set apart, holy. 
who God says we are because of Jesus Christ. We are set apart. We are holy in the view of this, of this sin-cursed world. Like I said earlier, we are new creations. We also have a task of reconciliation. We take Jesus everywhere we go. And we share him everywhere we go. It is a privilege to share him. It is a privilege to be able to give people a view of God through us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Eighteen and twenty-one. I'll just go ahead and read that. All this is from God, and it, it, it early uh, the um, the scripture, the, the verse just before that was what I had referenced before. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, and behold, the new has come. Starting in eighteen and then it says, "All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ." God has, is, was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Jesus. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be, no, be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's amazing. That, that's what Jesus Christ has done for us. As we go through this world, we are carrying Jesus with us. We are right, reconciling. We are carrying Jesus with us everywhere we go. Showing, telling the world that Jesus really is the answer. That Jesus loves them. That he wants to do something for them. He is using us, a kingdom of priests, to do that. It is truly amazing. It really is to think about that, that God wants to use me. He wants to use you everywhere you go. When you go to work, when you get up in the morning and you see your neighbor, when you get up in the morning and see your wife or husband, he is using us to share the message of the gospel with those around us. To God, I just lost my place. Sorry. <laughs> and, and then he goes on to his father, his Godfather, and to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. To Jesus, be the glory and dominion forever and ever. His glory will be everlasting. He rules forever. Jesus is on the throne. 
And literally every knee, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The dead and the alive, both will proclaim this. He is coming back. And in those moments, everyone will see that he is the Lord and King of all. As I said earlier, behold, he is coming. He is coming back. And it's going to be a true physical, a true physical return. Every eye, every eye will see him. Um, every tribe on the earth will see him. And it says that those who pierced him, so I would, I would, I would say from this that every person that has ever lived will see him in this moment. And what is the response to this? All these tribes, all these people will wail on account of him. Will wail. There'll be mourning. There's going to be a lot of anxiety. Everyone that sees him will fall down and will be judged. And it's going to be very scary. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to be very, very, very scared at that moment in time. Going into, into the next section here, um, it, it really, it, it's kind of where it stops, it just, it, and it goes into and says, John, I, John, your brother, and partner in the tribulation of the kingdom, and then he starts talking about how he actually heard Jesus first. And then sees him. And both of them are very intimidating and scary. First and foremost, he hears this loud voice. And it says it's like a trumpet. And the only thing I can, I can think of when it, when it said that is, um, I was watching a John Wayne movie the other week, and... Uh, he was in the Calvary, and he had the bugler blowing the, blowing the bugle. And I know a bugle and a trumpet aren't exactly the same, but why, why use a bugle? It's because you could even hear it throughout the whole battlefield, and how, even how loud a battlefield is, you can still hear it. A trumpet is a loud, loud, loud instrument. And this is, John hears it. Behind, it says, behind me, a loud voice like a trumpet. And then he goes on and gives him some instructions. And then, as John turned to see the voice, he saw this awesome sight. This, this sight that was, was unbelievable. Nothing like he's ever seen before. And he sees this lampstand. And then in the, in behind it, he sees the Son of Man clothed in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were burnished bronze, refined in furnace, and his voice was like that of a roar of many waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars, and from his mouth came a two a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun 
shining in full strength. Once again, I think John here is trying to put it in the best human terms he has. But I don't think these words and this description can even adequately describe Jesus in this moment. And what happens? John 17, it says, John, I saw him, and I fell at his feet as though I was dead. This is how awesome Jesus, coming back, is going to look. And John can't do anything except fall to his feet as though he was dead. And he laid there. And what is Jesus' reaction? And this is, this is huge right here, guys. Fear not. This awesome person. John sees him, falls at his feet as though he was dead because of how glorious, how amazingly powerful this being is. That John just falls at his feet. And what does Jesus say? He says, fear not. Fear not. This is what a relationship with Jesus looks like. For the world, we just saw this earlier, what's going to happen to the world? They're going to wail and mourn and be in big trouble. Because they don't know Jesus. Yet those of us have put our trust in Jesus, those of us that have a relationship with him, he's going to reach out his right hand and say, fear not. Fear not. It is interesting, um, just a side note as I was studying this, um, fear not is, is uh, said 365 times in the Bible to his people, to the Lord's people. As I said earlier, if you have put your trust in Jesus, you are part of his people. You're part of his kingdom. There is no reason for us to fear in this world because he is with us. Hopefully, hopefully that's encouraging. I, it, was, it was very much encouraging for me um, this week as I was studying that. Anthony and Jess, you can, you can come on up. As, um, as I was reading through this this week, as I was praying through this this week, as I was studying, and I said, as I said earlier, it was very encouraging for me to look at Jesus coming in his full glory, coming to John, and John falling down at his feet, wanting to die, and yet Jesus says, fear not. If we have put our trust in Jesus, we know that we have no reason to fear. We have a relationship with him. If you haven't put your trust in Jesus, you're going to have wailing and sorrow. Please, 
I, I, I implore on you. I, I beg you to, to understand that you need Jesus and that Jesus loves you and he wants you to be part of his kingdom. Please put your trust in what he has done for you. In the next two months, we're going to be looking at what Jesus has to say to the, the seven churches here in Revelation. I know that, um, you know, the last year, we read through the letter of Romans for a year. And it was a, I, I believe it was a good, it was, it was a huge blessing for Mercy Hill to read that. There was a lot of application that we could take from that. And I, I also believe that even though these unique letters are going to be a little bit different, they're going to be a little bit shorter, I do believe that God has something to share with us in these seven letters to these seven different churches. And so I would just encourage us as we prayerfully go into the next two months to remember our blessing is truly from Jesus himself. He is our right path. In, in the path of chaos around us. He truly loves us. He truly loves you. He has freed us. He has freed you from sin. And he has made us, he has made you a kingdom of priests. Those are things that we can take heart and that we can hopefully encourage ourselves in in the, next, in the next couple months, in the next years to come as we live out our lives here on earth. Uh, let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we thank you so much for who you are and what you've done for us. The, amazing, the amazingness is that you love us more than we know and uh, that you have done all these things for us. And so right now, I just pray that you will um, just once again Lead us, guide us, that you will be our blessing in the days to come. And uh, we just pray that um, your will be done here at Mercy Hill and in Holmes County, in Ohio, in the United States, in all the world. And uh, we just ask that your, your name be glorified. In your name I pray. Amen.